for? Yeah, we can just uh, introduce ourselves since we're already doing that. Uh, so this is uh, Money is the Root of All Fun, uh, Economics and RPGs. Uh, more about using economics to make your games fun uh, rather than, you know, selling books and, and things like that. Uh, I am Caleb Stokes. Uh, I've written uh, No Security Horror Scenarios in the Great Depression, uh, which uses economics basically as its entire setting. Uh, and then I am currently working on an economically based RPG, complete with like supply demand curves and all of that exciting stuff called Red Markets. Um, Ross? Hi, I'm Ross Payton. Uh, I am the co-host of Roleplaying Public Radio, as I mentioned. Uh, I'm also an RPG designer. Uh, I've worked, uh, Caleb and I have both worked on Eclipse Phase, uh, which talks a lot about economic issues. Uh, I've also have a new RPG out called Base Raiders, which is about superheroes being, uh, like, imagine a world filled with superheroes and all that he, then they all disappear, but they leave their stuff behind, all those bat caves and fortresses of solitude and what have you. So people, of course, break into them and steal everything they can. Heroic looting. Yes, heroic looting. So black market economies, <laughs> uh, and that kind of thing, uh, is the focus of that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm Rob Boyle. I work with Posthuman Studios with 559. Uh, I work on Eclipse Phase. It's a transhuman sci-fi RPG. Uh, it deals with uh, a bunch of alternative economic models in the setting. Uh, used to work on Shadowrun for a long time, like 10 years. Uh, oh, and both No Security and Base Raiders are available at Art Dreams booth, uh, booth 713. So, anyway. Yes. And he has a fancy booth with a big sign. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lovely sign. Um, yeah, so we, we were just going to talk about how, how to use economics in your game to make them more fun, more interesting, and, and various aspects like that. And then if you have any questions for us, uh, we, we would love to answer them. Um, so I figured the first thing to talk about are the assumptions. There, there are economic assumptions and materialist assumptions in your typical RPG. Um, so the most obvious one is... Uh, as the shirt says, uh, capitalism, uh, as most RPGs are written in, you know, Western capitalist ideologies. Uh, so the idea of buying gear, uh, of getting things like this with uh, money, having a currency in the game, uh, is good. Um, and then that capitalism thing leaks into the game itself. So there are narr there are economies of narrative in RPG systems. Points you spend to be able to list a fact about the setting. Are, are things of that, and that sort of idea of uh, capital equal stuff uh, is is uh, you know pretty pervasive as an idea in an RPG. Uh, there's a bunch of other uh, stuff though. So you wanted to yeah. talk about haggling because you had well, I mean, it's not just that it's a capitalist society, like, but in Dungeons and Dragons, which is you know big the big name in RPGs, it has the same ideas of the economy as peak consumers did back from the 1970s to today, which is like. There are shops. You go there, you buy items. They have a fixed price uh, in gold pieces. Currency, there's one unit of currency that's easily exchangeable. Uh, and you can just get what you need. And if you're an adventurer, you find 50,000 gold pieces worth of loot, and you dump it in, you know, ye old fantasy village, population 100. <laughs> popul 50 of them are human. They count the goats, you know. Uh, dumping 50,000 gold pieces worth of loot into that economy is not going to affect prices at all. Uh, or so, you know, that, that's what D&D &D says. Uh, and, then ma and especially in later editions, from third edition on, that magic items, which are literally alter the, the laws of physics and nature, uh, can also be bought on demand. And 
Uh, so, like, a goat costs five gold, and a potion that lets you fly into the atmosphere costs 500 gold. So, you know, it's worth 100 goats. Uh, and <laughs> that's the kind of, yeah, you know, simulating... So that's what... Those are the kind of assumptions. And, like, even if you... Everything else they try and simulate medieval and fancy periods, like, with the weapons and the armor and everything. But, like, they don't even look at the economies of the Middle Ages, which were different, to say the least. Um... And yeah, so that's that's a big one I would make. So like they don't even have haggling or bartering. Bartering. Um, even today, like the if you go to China or something like that, a lot of other countries, if you try and buy a consumer good, like a shirt, you can haggle your price. You're like, is this is worth a hundred yuan? No, it's worth fifty yuan. You know, and you go back and forth. In D and D, you're like, no, you go to the item shop, you pay the price, and that's it. It's like a, a, a vending machine, and you just. Uh, you know, with a mustache, and that's it. So, and also, currency never goes away with political systems. Like, if if this were a D and D world, I could go to a tomb, find a bunch of Confederate dollars, and then go to McDonald's <laughs> and then buy yeah. stuff with them. Uh, yeah, never changes over time. <laughs> uh, do you have any assumptions that you wanted to mention? Uh, no, I mean, I definitely think that's true. I mean, it, it is kind of funny that considering that we deal with fantasy worlds, how many of them still just deal with, like, feudalism, which basically led to capitalism. And there really isn't a lot of exploration into alternative systems. And you kind of would think that... I mean, people are familiar with it, which is why I think people dive into it more, you know, most often. But uh, it would be nice to see an exploration, especially in fantasy, not just in sci-fi, of more of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and Shadowrun had a had an income, didn't it? He had to pay for a standard of income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, by the, yeah lifestyle. Yeah, a, another thing that's assumed in a lot of RPGs is uh, what has been proposed in, in, in the recession, uh, I've read a lot of articles on it, is, is uh, minimum basic income, which is the idea that everyone gets health care, shelter, and food for, for, for free. Uh, regard, you, if you don't do anything, if you've never been pulling your life, you still get that. You still get to stay alive. And it basically turns into an economy of you know fun employment. Like if you want to go to Gen Con, you need a job so you can go to Gen Con because the state's not going to give that to you. They're going to give it to you everywhere. And that's the default assumption in most RPGs because if you have zero gold, if I have zero gold, I die. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the real world for me. Like, zero gold, I begin to starve and don't have shelter. Uh, and, but in RPGs, you're just you're just random yeoman and you don't have a cool sword to go kill things with. Uh, but but a, thing, a thing to do in RPGs is, like, minimum basic income would change the real-world economic landscape so insanely drastically. Like, you would have your own fantasy setting just based off that if that's all you changed about the real world. Like, uh, so looking at those assumptions and upsetting them can, can lead to lots of, like, really interesting uh, plot hooks, which is our next section. So econ- economy as plot hook. Yeah. Um, so first off, getting rid of capitalism could bring up some really interesting stuff. So uh, Rob, you, have, you did this in a clip phase. Yeah, I mean, we, we deal with a couple different alternative economic systems in a clip phase. One of the main ones is like uh, reputation uh, systems, especially in the outer system uh, of the setting. Uh, so reputation networks, they're, they're kind of viewed a lot of the times as social capital. Um, but I think a lot of people make the mistake that, uh, that reputation, treating it like currency, um, where you know you're spending your reputation in order to get something. Uh, but that's not actually how it's meant to to really work. Like it's not supposed to be like an equal exchange all the time. Like uh, like your reputation in it. Are people familiar with reputation that works as a concept? Do I need to explain it to you? No. Okay. Uh, so the basic idea is that, uh, especially in eclipse phase, you have a uh, you have technology that lets you build 
things uh, with nanofabrication from the molecular level up uh, with blueprints. So, uh, like replicators and stuff. Yeah, like like 3D printing. Yeah. Uh, so in the inner system, like that are still trying to maintain capitalism, that stuff is like uh, controlled. So uh, you know, if you want to buy a new toaster, you go to iThings online, uh, you buy the blueprint and download it. Uh, but it comes with DRM. You can't share it with your friends. Certain blueprints are restricted. You know, in order to to, to keep that sort of scarcity going. Um, and but in the outer system, they make that stuff open source and freely available. So everybody has access to everything they need. So you don't need money anymore because you don't need to buy a toaster. Like, you can just make one. And so in order to uh, – when you're interacting with people, what counts when you're trying to get things in an RPG setting like information or favors or, or hard-to-get equipment that you can't make uh, is you rely on your reputation score in different social networks. And there will be multiple different – uh, social networks like relating to different factions or groups of people um, and so if you're the jerk who never helps clean up the space habitat you know your rep score will drop but if you help your friends move or you make really interesting piece of artwork you know your, your rep score will go up um, and so that's what you rely on and it, you know it's it's similar to kind of exchange economics but there's a difference because your reputation scores it's a little more like when you get a favor you're not necessarily expending reputation like you spend money like your rep score stays the same unless you abuse it like maybe then you know if like you're if you're constantly asking your friends to you know to for help moving or whatever <laughs> every week then help get rid of the yeah, bodies then, then you burn your reputation a little bit so your rep score will drop uh and you know so you ha it becomes like uh, instead of like managing money, it becomes more of an issue of managing like your your social capital, your reputation, how people view you, um, and it deals with a lot more in the sense of like uh, intangibles. Um, so like uh, uh, you know like being good versus being a jerk uh, or being creative is worth more in in settings like that. Um, uh, and, and it should be noted that you have a reputation economy and you are living in it right now. It's just not formalized. Yeah. Like, like the, the you cover a shift for Trish at work because it's Trish. Everybody loves Trish. She brings cookies. She's great. Uh, but, you know, you know, Jake, screw that guy. When nobody likes Jake. Like, you, you, have, you have a reputation economy, but this just makes it uh, more formalized and, and expanded. Uh, possession itself is an economy. So if anybody's read The Dispossessed, by uh, Kayla Gwynn. It's about an anarchist society that has no personal possession. Like, they raise kids together in, in collectives. They don't have parents. They aren't your kids, because that implies you own them. You don't. They own themselves. Like, they they even get to the point where, like, get, they get rid of, like, personal pro possessive pronouns. Like, it's not my hand. It's the hand. <laughs> like, so it's... it's uh, So I had my players go to an Odoist, what it's called in the book, uh, compound in the book, after, like, living in the inner system of capitalism the whole time. And the second they get on the swarm, everyone just starts taking their stuff. Like, oh, thanks, I needed this. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and they're just, like, freaking out. It's like, no, I bought that. Ah, like, losing their minds. Uh, but then the challenge of the game was, like, it's not like you don't have stuff to use. It's just, like, shared. You just need to... You maybe don't have it at the time you wanted it, uh, which in RPG means, like, somebody's borrowing your gun when the monster shows up. But uh, they, could be, they could be creative about it. So, like, navigating in a foreign uh, economy is, is, is in itself a conflict that players have to do. I mean, I mean again, uh, going back also to assumptions, we're... Characters in all games are, like... You, you kind of touch on this, that they're yeomans. That basically, they're... they're which... 
they're unattached to the land, they're unattached to any kingdom or nation or whatever. They have no responsibilities. They're totally free. And that's historically really rare and sort of a <laughs> weird phenomenon. I mean, throughout most of history, people were have very strong ties to particular nations, tribes, lands, cultures, whatever. And if you try to break those, there were severe consequences. And um, in terms of, like, economies... Uh, this means that characters who leave certain economies or leave certain areas are going to have more of a problem or negotiating with them. Um, so it's something to think about. You know, if you're trying to, again, like getting the treasure out of a dungeon or whatever and you, you bring it into the kingdom, they're like, oh, well, do you have to... Another thing is your responsibilities. You have connections. Like, you have to pay taxes or something like that. What kingdom would not like, oh, 100,000 gold pieces of loot? Why aren't you paying taxes on this? You know, or like... <laughs> Uh, that magic sword is restricted. Space IRS. Yeah, space <laughs> IRS. Um, so, I mean, characters are connected to the... Uh, like, that's the other thing. They're totally autonomous in most games, and that's... The whole point of the economy is that no man is an island. Everyone is... No one is totally self-sufficient. You need other people as much as you they need you. So even though you killed the dragon, you know, who's going to clean up after you or who's going to patch your wounds or take care of your kids while you're out, you know, adventuring about. So... Um, that's the first assumption I would do is like in any game is make the characters not anonymous murder hobos that can go across the land wreaking vengeance which is what they are want to do like there, there's something connecting them to the world they do not appear fully formed with katana in hand so or, or if they are that just acknowledge the the consequences of that because like there have been times in, in history where that's happened like the gold rush it was great there like yeah. you know you know people shooting each other for claims and things like that uh, those were they were completely autonomous without oversight and <laughs> libertarian paradise it was but uh, but then there's also like uh, suppositions about like ways that could work like completely anti right so like you have a it's ex- is it extropia that, that is all Anarcho-capitalist. Yeah, anarcho-capitalist. Yeah, can you talk about that? So, I mean... Yes, Yeah, so, I mean, it's the libertarian ideal of no government, and and everything is contract-based. So if you, you know, if you're worried, there's no police, so if you're worried about your protection, you contract with a security service so that, you know, they're on hand, and if if you get threatened or beat up or someone comes after you, you know, you you summon your security service to come and protect you. And then there's a lot of... uh, er, Everything has kind of happened with, uh, uh, dealt with with private legal courts that uh, that interact with each other and you know issue torts to each other and things like that. Um, it becomes becomes a very bureaucratized kind of quickly actually with all the uh, all the legal interactions that go on, despite there actually being no laws and no government. Um, yeah, and if the if the PMC you hired for protection doesn't show up. Well, you give them a bad Yelp review, and the market take <laughs> cares of itself, as as an economist would be uh, one to say. Uh, so, so yeah, bringing economics in your game, like it could be like the main focus is a plot hook, or it could just be like taking the assumption of murder hobos and to its logical extent. Well, you're in the Wild West now. There's there's all these dungeons with Lemurian gold in them, and you're the only one raiding it? Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> you thought the monsters was bad. What about the horde of beggars and people trying to get rich <laughs> off of this uh, gold rush of ancient catacombs? Like, uh, yeah, that which would be more like, likely to happen. Um There's also, if you want to give your players agency uh, as PCs or NPCs, uh, and you don't want to make the the economy the main uh, materialist plot hook, there's lots of things you can do to show the economic impact uh, of your PCs because uh, player characters kind of 
default towards the great the great man theory of history where history is driven forward by these you know one percent performers uh and if you follow that you know historical model like they can have like big impacts on the world so we are we already mentioned depreciation yeah like you bring fifty thousand gold pieces into a town of 100 people gold means nothing anymore like people are using it to prop open the door uh of their store (laughs) and stuff like that uh so that's something you can do to kind of mess with players if you uh give a big score and you're maybe you unbalanced your game just be like all right you have all that money you just have nowhere to spend it because gold is meaningless now uh this morning i had a crew uh, of players hit a gold reserve and they stole some of it but then they destroyed a ton of gold so it ended up the gold they stole was better because the scarcity <laughs> went up like because they destroyed a bunch of gold like uh you, you could do things like that uh other ways that pcs can well, affect the economy i think the other thing is keep in mind um economy people also tend to think that economies are ra- are the result of rational actors always acting in their best self-interest and but if you actually study economics, there's actually a whole field of like behavioral economics, uh, where like no people are crazy, like as, and they just do really insane things, like buy up tulips, and you know, uh, for one historical example. So uh, there's like a good entry level book called like Predictably Irrational, I believe it's called, um, that explains some of like how our psycho, our just our psycho, uh, psychology affects how we make purchasing decisions, how we do. Uh, basic things, why con artists work, uh, how they exploit people's uh, mental gaps in their whole in their in their uh, in their defenses, basically to steal money. So that's something to think about, like on a large scale. Um, now, if you start entering in non-humans, people who have different psychologies than humans altogether, or supernatural ways to manipulate the mind, then there's, aside from the heroes who are going to use it to save the day, they're also going to be con artists. Hey, look, charm person is a great spell. I'm going to like. I'm not going to target the wizards and the badasses who could kill me if I fail that spell. I'll just go to every farmer in the kingdom, get one gold from him, and I'll be rich, you know. <laughs> uh, or they open up Amway for, you know, uh, wizards or something like that, you know. Just ways to manipulate people. Um, and, again, non-humans, how are they going to act? You know, if giants or ogres have different behaviors towards economies. You could have all kinds of uh, booms, busts, uh, recessions, and depressions, and uh, crazy wild swings in economies. When yeah, uh, speculation ex- markets are awesome for that. Like, yeah, because it adds a time component to a, a goal, like whatever MacGuffin you have. Like, not only do they have to get the Beanie Babies, they have to sell them before everyone realizes that Beanie Babies are worthless. <laughs> <laughs> like, like there's a, there's a speed condition there. You got to pull off the heist and then fence it real fast. Like, uh, so that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, the irrational actors, uh, the housing market, like the good yeah. times are never going to end. Like you know, people are like that all the time. Uh, I mean, you can do that with dungeons, actually. Yeah. Like have the players like do three or four dungeon crawls in a row, where the players get like X amount, just like a standard D and D game. Like D and D games are set up as a very formulaic thing. Like you get X amount of gold per <laughs> level, so you can get Y amount of magic items, and so you can do this and this and this. So do it like three or four times so they get used to it. Then give them a, a few clues, a little bit of foreshadowing, and say like maybe this isn't different. And then they go in the dungeon, and there's like all the gold is actually not gold; it's copper, or the, it just the dungeon collapses, or like there's no gold. They kill all the monsters. There's no in there and like we wait wait we spent all this money we already spent we spend all our money as soon as we get it we've been buying you know we're we're we're, now we're in debt oh crap what are we going to do now so like let it do a whole boom uh bust yeah. yeah 
So um, that's one way you can. And then, of course, everyone quits the game. But you, <laughs> uh, you, you would have fun. I would have fun doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. Not specifically. Okay. Uh, there's also. Uh, Prison economies, uh, the, you know, prison economies. It's not actually prison, but there are economies in which, like, people develop economies whether you want them to or not. Like, uh, so uh, very famously, the, there was a massive economy in uh, German POW camps of, of British officers during World War II, uh, where they had just insane sophistication. Like, uh, you know, based off a cigarette standard. Uh, of currency uh, and, and like changing the currency of the of the economy or making them develop a new economy or barter system that could be like a big challenge for players like it, it plays Sky, anybody know the hack for Skyrim to get good at forging stuff you just forge iron daggers you just buy up all the iron and you forge iron daggers all day and the game just keeps on upping your smithing skill until you're like can make god armor or something like that think of the town that has that now like there's just daggers laying everywhere in the streets like I think Whiterun would use knives as currency at some point and just be like I'll give you five knives for that like uh, so yeah there, there's uh, you know atypical economies in that way uh, PCs can be inside traders like you can bet against the market if you know that you're going to use your magic powers to blow up the competition like uh, that's that like uh, the newest GTA. That's how you make money. There's like five missions where you can make money in GTA. You invest against the competition, and then you do horrible murder hoboey things because <laughs> uh, you know the market's gonna react. Like that. That's like if players come up with something that's sophisticated. That's. Is there something like that in Shadowrun, like some sort of like insider trading, like, oh, we're going to hit ass technology, let's go bet up against them? It, it was never really fully addressed as I think it should have been. Yeah, oh, really? certainly, like, you're always stealing secrets from Megacorps, and you yeah. can, you know, like, but usually you're stealing it for somebody else so that they can use it for their, you know, their corporation's gain. But, you know, the the runners could certainly take advantage of that and go, you know, yeah, start probably. making some investments. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I think would Martha happen. Stewart with a gun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there's also, like, you need to look at the basic role of capital in your games. So we talked about that default assumption. Uh, if, if your default assumption is, I get gold to buy stuff that makes it easier for me to get gold. Like you've you've made a reduction in the economy that I would love to live in. Like that would be swell. Or are they spending capital on like dependence and upkeep? But like there are games that try to do that and it falls flat on its face because it gets really boring paying the rent when you're a magical elf. Uh, uh, so so there's something like that. But uh, but I would argue that uh, capital has more purposes than merely paying the rent. I, I think there are narrative bonuses to paying the rent. So if they have bonds to NPCs, but they are a homeless wanderer, like they don't have bonds to NPCs. Like uh, the their wife's not going to want them around their kid. They're a smelly guy covered in orc blood. Like uh, there are there are very serious like emotional impacts. There's health impacts. Uh, to that kind of thing. Um, I find healing very interesting in games because I wish healing worked like that in the United <laughs> States. Like, you just wait some time and it doesn't cost any money. But, like, yeah, like, healthcare in an RPG would be a huge struggle for a PC group to get over. 
uh, so so there's all, all sorts of things uh, in in that regard. You guys have anything to say? Um. Well, I, I think that you get the capital. I mean, we talk, you're talking about like the downside. Like players don't want to deal with like I got to pay the rent because they don't get any benefit out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're talking about, but like if you have like if you give it the other side, like they give them ways instead of having completely liquid assets like cash, like fifty thousand worth of gold pieces that you can spend anywhere, and they're great. You just have to put in your sack of you know bag of holding and carry it around and hope hope no one steals it from you. Like a lot of players, ones we like. Like, can I put it in a bank? Can I can I invest it? And then that you give not only a future plot hook, uh, tons of plot hooks. Like you invest it in the farmland, and so you become a, a, a landlord. And then like there's tons of interest. Like protect your land from the raiders. Get get money from those dirty peasants who are withholding their earnings from you. Put down the labor. Put down the riot. Put down the next riot. Uh, talk to the clerics who are angry at you killing all those peasants. But like, uh, you know, exactly. Yeah, like it, yeah, yeah. Animate skeletons to plant your land. You know, to to grow your crops because, <laughs> like, take out the middle. realize you collapse the entire agriculture economy by doing that. Like, <laughs> so I mean, make it an upside. Make it something that the players want to do. Like in base raiders, I actually have a whole thing where. Players can spend their loot to basically improve their superpowers, to get a whole, like, get training so they know how to use their powers or, you know, that kind of thing, or buy new superpowers. Um, but they can also spend that by setting up a goal. where And they can spend, it's sort of a freeform thing. Like, I, it could be like, I want to rid, I want to protect this neighborhood, make it crime safe. All right, that's fine. Or it could be like, I want to cure cancer, all of it, the entire planet, cancer, done. That's what I want to do. Uh, or like, no, I want to conquer the galaxy, every, all the galaxies, you know. So you you have goals, and then the, I give the players, uh, they spend their loot to improve their goal. And the goal changes the game setting. It doesn't make their character better. It just changes the entire setting. So you like, at the end of it, like, you cure cancer, yeah, no, everyone has cancer immunity. Good job. But, like, I think that's more narrative set, you know, uh, something more satisfying for the players to feel like they have impact in the world, and give them so, like something to spend all that money on without just like no, I guess I'll, I have a plus ten sort of you know soul reaping. I guess I could get the plus thirteen one, you know, like trade it in for the New Year's model or whatever. But like um, you know, less murder hobo and more invested in the narrative, um, and that's more like again historically what's been done is like. People like can't just you can't just there's only so many things you can spend cash on like um, eventually you have to find new ways to spend it. I think information is one of the things that comes up a lot. As oh yeah, one of the you know if you when you have characters who are like information brokers, yeah, like the capabilities they have and uh, you know just taking advantage of that set of things it's often overlooked. Or, like, intelligence networks. Like, players, again, like an investment thing. Like, it could be a long-term thing where, like, hey, I'm just going to recruit some students out of this Miskatonic University. I'm just going to pay them to feed me info. Or I'm going to, like, set up my own spies or, like, set up a think tank or something like that to get people to feed me rumors and information or something like that. Um, or, like, yeah, uh, set up an undercover operation. Or uh, Yeah, I mean, that that's a good... And with information brokers, I like that example because it incentivizes 
a more realistic use of capital in a game, which is what you have to do. So, like, the the paying the rent isn't exactly fun as an elf because it's just a thing to do, and then it's over, and there's no narrative impact. Uh, but, like, if I pay the information broker and realize, oh, that place you were going to go inside, that's where we keep all the murder robots. Like, <laughs> you're just like, I'm really glad I spent that money. You've incentivized, like, spending money for more story. Um, if there's, like, a sanity mechanic or some sort of, like, emotional metric in your game, like, have people spend money to feel better. Like, money doesn't buy happiness. But, boy, it doesn't hurt either. <laughs> like, and like if your kid can, like, take ballet lessons and you get to see her be happy, maybe that makes your horrible adventuring life see less terrible in your off time. Um, uh, have them buy skills. Like, turn XP into money, like... That's how we managed to do it now. If you want to go to a certain class, you, you got to spend money for it. The game I'm working on, Red Markets, uh, actively punishes you for not spending on this kind of stuff. Like, if you don't spend on your relationships, those relationships get hurt. Uh, you are more emotionally fragile when you have to do things out. Uh, you need to spend money on your gear or you're less effective. You're more your stuff in that game than you are yourself. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, it's very much like you have to meet this minimum, but then anything over that is great. So if you spend money on skills, that's time you don't have to be working, and you can dedicate to self improvement. Like no one pays me to go home and read a book and better myself as a person. I have to do that in time where I'm not working. But if I'm working, you know, three jobs on double shifts weird i didn't read my philosophy book that night because i was you know mopping the floor somewhere i mean time is money yeah exactly uh so you can you can incentivize it in all sorts of ways and and if you if you are uh punishing people for not doing it you need to make sure that it's it's realistic and adds to the the narrative or tone of your game yeah uh, and, and then the last thing is economics is verisimilitude, the, the feeling of being real in your setting, which we've kind of touched on it. But, like, uh, economics in terms of, like, history and, and models and things like that can do lots of things to add to your setting. So I've seen there's a ton of setting where these horrible fascistic dictatorships rule, like these grim dystopian nightmare military states that you have to fight against. But there's very little about how... Everyone was like, oh, yeah, horrible mechanized space Nazis. I will vote for that. Like, there's no <laughs> there's no explanation. It's like, how did these awful people come to power when they offer nothing to the populace? And, like, so the one thing I always want to see in things like that is, like, talk about the economic recession where they took power because that's pretty much uniformly how fascists do it. Like, you're taking your marks to go buy bread in Berlin, and next thing you get Hitler. I mean, Greece has the golden dawn right now. Like, the fact that anyone in the modern world thinks that, looks at those golden dawn guys and be like, no, that's a great idea. Like, <laughs> it just blows my mind. But it's because I'm not, like, scraping together food. My country doesn't have over 50% unemployment for people under 25. Like, so historically, if you want to make your grim evil, you don't have to feel guilty about killing these guys. Uh, bad guy in your game like explain how they came into power because it wasn't it likely wasn't people just out of nowhere voting for the you know pure evil party like or maybe it was class warfare and they took over and you know, yeah, put in a yeah. authoritarian communist regime and it's more came around that way yeah of, uh, or wizards yeah. did it you could always do that <laughs> or wizards. Wizards. yeah I mean they're, 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 that's just worked for any game 
uh, especially ones that aren't supposed to have wizards because they're secret wizards. So, um, but the other thing is uh, the other flip side is that is those fascist dictator economy enemies uh, states are usually portrayed as you know really scary and powerful. And historically speaking, fascists are actually really bad at that kind of thing because it come, military power is more of a function of logistics than it is brutality. If you don't have enough guns and dudes in uniforms, you're going to lose. And you can't, you know, you can whip people, you can torture people all you want. That doesn't make your factories efficient. That doesn't make your economy efficient. I mean, look at North Korea. They're the, the, they're the real, and they're just, you know, chugging along. Um, not really. Yeah, the, uh, the, the poor impulse control that goes along with psychopathy is not great for tactical thinking. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, like, uh, I just saw a documentary on the Islamic State right now in Iraq, and it talks about how they're administering, like, civil law in the territory they hold. And so, like, you have these guys who are just, like, have no idea how to do be like, they're revolutionaries and fighters, and they're now just struggling to, like, deal with, like, the guy comes into the court. I was like, my cousin took all the harvest. Can you, you know, I want my half of the harvest. And you're like, uh... Okay, you know, the, the, they're not qualified to do this. So it's, you know, uh, that's the kind of thing you have to think about as well, you know. Um, that that could be something. The weakness of the enemy is that they, you know, their courts are really crappy. <laughs> I think there's always a tendency to think of, like, the people at the top of the economic pyramid as having, like, like they're unified and having one specific direction. And there's usually, like, competing interests up there at the Monolithic, top, Monolithic, yeah. Yeah, like... You know, different corporations want different, have different agendas and different, you know, oligarchs or whatever are going to pursue policies that might be detrimental to other oligarchs. So there's going to be conflict there up at the yeah. top as well that you can take advantage of. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of factional and like factional infighting in lar any large institution is going to be a thing, um, and certainly in any large economy, they're going to be competing businesses and factions within businesses. You know, this division of this corporation hates the other one, um, and they're willing to hire people to sabotage their efforts, or people can exploit that. So that's uh, something to keep in mind. Uh, uh, one one of my uh, economic bugbears uh, is that doing horror games is that I, I, I really like to point out that poverty is scary as hell. Like, <laughs> like being poor is very scary. So think about every horror we've ever seen. Even though they have typically these, these, like, rich protagonists, like young teens out taking vacations, they don't have jobs, they're, you know, going into abandoned sleepaway camps and taking showers for some reason, you know, all, all of these all these horror movies, the first thing you do is put them into an area of poverty. They go into the abandoned well, they go into the isolated retreat, the woods, things like that. And the, the reason for that is not just technological, it's, it's ideological. Like, those people are separated from their means. Like, Jason doesn't attack in the gated community with CCTV everywhere, <laughs> on-site security, and cops that are so afraid of your dad's political clout that they will get there in five minutes. Jason attacks when you're on some random wooden trail that a person in a trailer calls home. Like, it, it, it's a... It's, it's, I, it's ideology as part of the horror. So, like, anything... Any kind of game you want to make scary, make it poorer, and it's going to become scarier. Like, uh, I run Cthulhu scenarios, but everyone's used to being, like, flappers and, like, Gorgon. professors of Miskatonic University. I'm like, no, you're in a Hoover town. You have a tent and a bindle, and there's a monster coming after you. Like, that, that it makes everything instantly, like, more tense. Uh, but if you overcome it, it is, therefore, a more heroic achievement. You know, I, I, to be fair, undead serial killers are, like, uh, just 
huge negative in property values. I mean, <laughs> it's true. You, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's just. It's just, they're just terrible. Uh, <laughs> the Indian burial ground is going to hit your bottom line. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> the, the zoning, yeah. you think that, that the neighborhood committee would do something about that, but no. But, um, oh, and property tax. If, you're, if your RPG fantasy guys take over that uh, hellish labyrinth of undead people, how are they going to pay that? I mean, yeah, we have, a, we have a catacomb now, but, man. We're in a new income bracket. I mean, so. yeah. I mean, at a certain level, like, in, especially in fantasy games, uh, whenever the players get a hold of such an amount of... Like, the thing is, kingdoms and governments always view economic stuff at a certain level as, like, warfare. I mean, it's warfare by other means. So if you get 100,000, 50,000 gold pieces and you have this massive amount of animal and you're this young, landless, super violent person, they're going to view you as a threat to their kingdom. Because they figure the next step is going to be the capital or you're going to raise an army or something like that. So they're either going to try to buy you off or drive you out. So uh, they'll either try and buy, like, force, like, hey, you can marry the countess's daughter or you can uh, do that so you won't, hey, you won't be motivated to Burn the kingdom down, you know, or build a magical lab, uh, you know, a wizard lab and summon monsters that will probably kill us all or turn all the peasants into skeletons. Um, and so that's something to think about as well. Like, at a certain level, it's just nation states will take an interest and they yeah. will stomp down on your characters. Uh, and then when you get to the nation state level, uh, there's a there's a very pretty common trope in RPGs is like the revolution as a campaign plot. Or overthrowing some some negative power and that kind of stuff like that, and that's great. But I always want to find that like taken more realistically too, because paradigm shifts are scary as hell too, uh, and they're way more. And revolutions are way more than mass combat rules. Like you need to change people's minds. Like people born and steeped in an ideology will aggressively fight for an ideology that doesn't hold their self interests. Like there are North Korean soldiers who will fight and die for North Korean ideology, even though there is no logical reason they should want to be there, uh, just because that's what they know. Uh, and, and then furthermore, like, if you're, if you're doing a revolution, you're going to have a law of unintended consequences. Like, do your players free the country and then fire the military of the country, dumping 50,000 unemployed male workers on the force, and then they get surprised, like George W. Bush, when things don't go well when that <laughs> happens? Like, oh, wow, we've just made an army of homeless, indigent guys with combat training. I cast summon murder hobo. Yeah, what happened? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like there, there, that there's like serious stuff going on with, or or in Afghanistan, do they knock down the Taliban, which is great, but then they do not bring up the Taliban's total, like draconian outlawing of the opium trade, which existed before we invaded, and then it was just. Uh, you know, heroin, you know, bonanza after we got there. You know, like, you, you've got to deal with uh, those kind of stuffs. And if you if you insert that kind of stuff in your fantasy kingdom that is rebelling and give that, like, things your, your great men and player characters they have to tackle, that's going to make their actions seem that much more important and the world that much more real because it follows some form of logic, even though there's, like, dragons and magic elves. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you want to start taking questions? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you guys, I mean, this is about, like, helping you guys uh, make economic issues in games more interesting and more fun. So, like, what kind of things have you encountered in terms of dealing with the, these kind of uh, topics that we've been kind of touching on? Uh, especially, like, I know, have it, has anybody been running Eclipse Phase uh, back there? Yeah. 
So have you guys had to deal with any weirdness in terms of reputation economy or stuff like that? Anything you want to ask the guy who wrote the game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's not as obvious. Like you have King of Space, Kardashian, and go to a place where she's not as popular, where she's going to be worthless, especially in reputation economy. But she can pay a PR firm with her. Oh, yeah, that's a good issue. Yeah, it's tricky. Like, we've tried to set it up so that there's, you know, people that handle those sort of exchanges. And how exactly they do it is definitely like, how do you translate favors in the currency? You know, that that's. they. It's something somebody would figure out, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because it's material, I think, yeah. yeah, especially with like you have uh, China, the United States, like China doesn't want to appreciate the value of the yen. Any American, you know, asking, please, you know, <laughs> change that value so the cash flows different. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, like one example you could do is like. There's the main belt is sort of like the border between the main reputation economy, the main belt, the asteroid belt, like between Mars and the outer system. Um, you could have like, hey, reputation economy people, you mine some stuff, send it to the inner system, or you know, some some of our prospectors in the main belt, and we'll give you credits, and then vice versa. So you could use that that kind of like labor of the reputation economy translates into credits of the uh, uh, the inner system. As the, and the broker handles the transition transition about that. So, uh, and the broker uses the yeah. So that that's one way of doing that. Kind of a barter haggling kind of thing. Getting down to the basic, you know, I'll give you one chicken for I'll give you two chickens for my goat, you know, uh, for that goat. So something like that. Uh, like you never want to get too far into economics where the game stops being fun, or you're all like just you know doing graphs and stuff instead of you know playing super powerful characters. Uh, but like stuff like currency exchange, like that's why I brought Bill on for red markets because yeah. like I get I get your rules lawyer and get them interested in that kind of stuff. <laughs> Min max. So like when your rules lawyer is just so psyched about the setting that he's like buying foreign nations debt and like doing stuff like that, he's still like getting his grognard on, but he's having to like research the setting, engage with the setting. He's not his nose in a rule book or rules lawyering you. He's getting that that specific brand of fun, but it's being brought into the narrative world where everyone else is living. He's not separated by it. Uh, so that that's another thing economics can do. The other thing is the fantasy economies or fantasy games really handle the equivalence between coinage or gold bullion, and what you can buy with it. You've got adventurers coming out of the dungeon or the temple that they've just looted with a million gold pieces. Yeah. And they dump it on the local economy. Prices are the same. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> that million gold piece is just basically increases the price of everything because the productivity of the economy hasn't gone up. There aren't any more goods to buy. Um, that plus 13, you know, demon slaying sword is just going to cost more. A lot more. Uh, yeah, and there's a matter of like finding market and offense. Like, uh, if I get the magic long spear of Riandis the Terrible out from a catacomb. What is some guy who owns 50 acres and a cow going to want with the magical long spear of Riandis the Terrible? Like, it'd be like trying to sell a very famous piece of art to some dude on the street. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, if you're in the market for machine guns and someone describes the machine gun as famous, you should probably find a different seller. <laughs> That's something you want to buy new. <laughs> but, I mean, well, the thing is that the magic long spear that you're talking about is, like, not just a weapon. It's, like, is the, in fantasy terms, it would be the equivalent of, like, a tank or, you know, a rocket launcher or a heavy weapon. I mean, that's a lot of firepower. Yeah, yeah, depending on the type of weapon. Uh, it could literally be an F-22. It just summons magical F-22s, you know. Um, and so you become basically an arms dealer. So, like, think of, like, movies like Lord of War or something like that where... You, you create a second adventure to just find a guy to buy it or negotiate or get a deal out of it. So, like, something like that, you also can't chop up the long spear and, like, you can't convert. It's one huge thing. So you have to find, like, a mercenary captain who's really rich and, like, hey, I'll give you this magic long spear. And either the mercenary captain will be like, yeah, okay, I can give you some gold. I have to use, I don't have much cash because, you know, I have to pay my dudes. But, you know, we could go conquer some castle for you. Mm-hmm. Does that sound good? We looting, pillaging? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, so you, they can give, they can help you, like, kill that dragon who's been bothering you or that lich or whatever. So you, like, it becomes more of a, neg- a, a strategic favor rather than a bit of loot. Uh, it, uh, yeah, assuming it's some sort of weapon no, none of you can use, obviously, because the player character, you can't get between a player character and a weapon he wants to use. Like, <laughs> that's just, you know. He's so basically, you are selling your weapons and helping fund Blackwater. <laughs> well, if Blackwater's helping you kill the bad people that you want dead, then well, they're not that bad, are they? I mean, I think Kenrod should be fair play. Like, if that <laughs> happens and you arm these mercenaries, they're still mercenaries. Somebody pays them to go kill you. Exactly, Now yeah. they're going to have magic weapons that you've given them. And I mean, that's great, because I would love to see a character say no to that, because, like, characters that want to be heroes are all like, I want to be a hero as long as my character is primely optimized and a death dealer of the world. Like, most heroes I know in the real world have really crappy sword fighting skills. <laughs> they're terrible at flanking. Like, they're, like, and, and, and that's the thing. It's a moral choice that the character has to make and, and the person has to role play. Uh, and that's what you should use for economics for. Like, uh, yes, I could sell this magic F-22 to, yeah. to someone, but maybe that would have repercussions. Maybe I shouldn't do I that. I mean, another thing you should look maybe at... Maybe I'll give it to the orphans and Especially for, like, yeah. I mean, I think another thing you should look at is for inspiration, um, especially for fantasy and sort of ancient kind of style games, are, uh, it's actually like shows like The Sopranos and like studies of the mafia and histories of the mafia and organized crime. Because they, they have to form their own laws. In order, because they're organized, they can't, they can't be. They're they're definitely hierarchical. They're not anarchists. The guy at the top gets gets most of the uh, the loot, but they obviously can't go to the court and just sue each other. Like he was supposed to send me like twenty kilos of heroin, like, and I only got fifteen. He shorted me, you know. Can't can't sell that to a judge. So, like with the mafia, you give the mafia a bunch of guns. The mafia will, you know, uh, if you want to give them that, you have to have some sort of leverage to make sure they don't turn those Tommy guns on you or that magic sword on you. So, like in fantasy worlds, that's usually what marriage is for, you know, uh, or some other initiation ceremony like make you part of the culture. Then you're all invested in each other. In the mafia, that could be, you know, I'll send my nephew over there. You send my guy over here. You know, something like that. Some sort of exchange where like. 
Yeah, yeah. There's, there's. I mean, you know, watch a Godfather, The Sopranos. They have these ways of dealing with this, and um, that's the kind of thing you everyone has to uh, worry. And again, reputation economy. Like, oh, Tony Soprano is a straight shooter. He won't betray me because he. <laughs> and that guy has not been paying attention. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> he, that's the thing is Tony Soprano gets away with it because he can't hide that kind of stuff. He's really good at like hiding his betrayals and setting other people up. But like. Um, so yeah, that's that's some source of inspiration for like the big like yeah, it's like a big uh, selling big ticket items is an adventure in of itself because then you also have to worry about other people stealing it from you and um, governments trying to take it from you and just governments thinking that you're inciting rebellion. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we've talked about big ticket items uh, in space games and station based games. You're gonna have to deal with taxes, the sale on the tax. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to compete with other people. And if you're going to put up your big ticket item, I don't care what number you pick. We'll just say a billion. Someone's going to come along and say, yeah, it's one billion minus one cent. I play Eve. I see that all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't care what it costs. So we'll undercatch you by one stinking cent. If you play Eve, you should probably come up here. <laughs> <laughs> no. I make money Eve. <laughs> and you do have to deal with the taxes. And another thing they don't do, which I think you can include in what you're saying about role-playing games, is they can include money-changing. Purely, I've got five million gold, uh, copper coins. No money changer's going to handle it. No right. one. You can do a little here, a little there, but no one's going to be able to handle the volume. Nobody. You got to set up your own bank. Um, yeah. <laughs> besides the money-changing itself, you could just have the government... New king, new money. Mm-hmm. All your old coins, yeah. <laughs> melt them down. <laughs> melt them down. Make a sword out of it. Now you can melt it down, but it will be less valuable. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, this actually started to get to something I wanted to talk about too. There's been a resurgence lately, especially in like low tech settings, to talk about language and how, like, you know, most times people didn't travel much. It was very localized. Like the whole idea of like going around and being able to talk to everybody, no way. Um, if, but we abstract that a little bit, but maybe not so much because it leads to interesting things that you can't. Similarly, like coinage and barter systems and stuff like that will change with localities, with, with kings, with uh, different systems. You know, what, what's kind of the level of where you can bring some of that in and have some of that interesting? Like, you can't pay with diamonds here, and you can't even change that into 50 gold because nobody has 50 gold. You know, but you don't want to go so far that again, it's just like bookkeeping all the way. Right, a lot of things have to bring that in. that hardly anybody uses because they just seem like they're annoying. Yeah, I mean, well, make it narrative is always, yeah. always the answer. I mean, like, in Senegal, if you don't barter, it's insulting to the shopkeeper. Like, it's like you're saying, I'm so much better than you, and I have so much more money, I can pay whatever you say. Like, it's like looking down, like, so that could just tank <laughs> a transaction right there. And then you have, like, class differences. Like, there aren't a lot of people who love opera and NASCAR. Like there's a there's a certain there's a certain amount of requisite useless knowledge to enter a class and like uh, one of my favorite scenes in The Wire is when Marlo the horrible drug kingpin makes so much money he starts investing in real estate and like meeting all these politicians and he hates it like it's the worst thing he's he's like this monster who's terrifying for these entire show and he's just in the suit and he has just no ability to function and they start fleecing him because like he can't kill them or use fear or use any of the thing that got him into that class 
to maintain that class. Like that, that, that's, and that's all narrative stuff that you can throw at players. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the thing is, um, you have to boil it down to like, in, like going back to the very beginning, like the action economy. So everything in an RPG is like either a, an encounter or like an adventure, multiple counters linked together. So you give the players loot, but then you do a follow-up adventure or encounter where they have to figure out a way to actually use that. And I mean, my typical thing is based on the player's skill checks, what kind of abilities they have, if they can speak the language, maybe they get, uh, the locals, they get a better deal. But like, okay, here's one thing. Option one, you can like, give it to a guy and he'll give you a favor. The mercenary captain will give you a favor. Two, you can try and go to another kingdom, which is across the ocean, and you'll get your full value out of it. But, you know, you have to protect it until then. Third, you can just bury it somewhere and hope for a better time and just, you know, sit on it. Uh, And we can move on to something else. So, you give players different options on what they want to do, but it boils down giving it to someone else to get a full value, or unless they can find a new use for it. Like, if it's diamonds in a and d type game, those are spell components. Like, hey, with those diamonds, we can't spend these diamonds, but with diamonds we can cast Resurrection. So, hey, we could we could offer people, hey, we'll bring back Grandma. <laughs> give us How much will you pay for that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> grandma will give you more not to. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah. Yeah, boil it, figure out what you want to, what how how many hoops you want the players to go through to get their currency so then they of course can do the you know there's this whole class of player who loves shopping you know like I think that's a big part, reason why D&D and Pathfinder are so popular because hey look books of gears I have I can have all kinds of swords and magic armor and like I can get this one and this one and this one and this is like yeah Beowulf didn't do that like he had his sword and that was sword and he stabbed the dragon with it he didn't have anything. anyways I'm going to change it uh, blue shirt. Yeah. Uh, what if you have a player who wants to play, say, a merchant, like either the head of a merchant guild or a merchant trade, like someone who's actually in control of the money makes the decision, and then they start doing adventure. They're like, oh, I'm fighting a lot of dragons now. I want to liquidate one of my stores and you know debt myself out. And, you know, mm-hmm. start way past their class of power. Yeah. So that's if you do too well. That? So you're saying like he wants to move up like social status wise? Right. Yeah. Just like in their gear, like you have like a tenth level player who has enough money because he's playing on some sort of merchant thing. You want to make it realistic for the world that they could deck out as like the power twenty. I mean, I think there's always ways you can find to restrict people's ability to buy new gear. I mean, this is one of the things like we did with Eclipse saves is like you know the. We, we specifically set up some things like with ego casting around and stuff so that it, it makes it challenging sometimes for, for the players to get the, the, the gear they want to overpower so that they can just take over a scenario. So like you know, you've got all these different economic options you can throw at them to restrict that and then you give them some other option that limits what they can get to what you want them to have so that's a challenge for the next adventure. And I think that's always what you're trying to go for. Uh, give him the gear, but like depending on your setting, like what I would do in a close phase, they want to fab like all these stupid weapons and stuff, and I'm like, yeah, great, do it. And then they use them once. I'm like, you better throw that away. 
And they're like, what? No, I gave it a name. It's Bessie. It's my best friend. And I'm like, all right, well, it's got a body on it. And you live in a nanotechnological super, uh, you know, panopticon of surveillance. You need to get rid of the evidence. Like, you can have your fancy gun until you use it to murder someone. And then you better throw it in a lake. Like, uh, so you, 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 there's all sorts of ways to limit the gear to, like, they can become combat effective. But you can pick away until they're not overpowered, regardless of how much money they have, just using logic. Well, one thing you can do um, is also, like we mentioned, you're talking about Marlowe uh, in The Wire, is whenever a person becomes rich, nouveau riche, uh, you know, that they, um, people, there just appears a group of people that will be ever so helpful in uh, helping that person <laughs> yeah. spend their money. And so if this merchant is doing really well, getting a lot of money, have NPCs show up and just Make it a point that if you start showing your cash around, you start buying magic items, people will come to like, hey, can you give to the church? Can you give to your alumni wizard school? Or can you give to the fighter, the old gladiator's home? Uh, you know, where we have Limpy and Gimpy, you know, and the other kind of uh, remnants of gladiator uh, fighting. Uh, and then, like, or con artists. And then, like, thieves start stealing from them. Uh, so the player learns, oh, man, if I buy all this gear, I'm just going to have a big target sign on me. And everyone's going to be trying to con my money, take my money. And it doesn't have to be penalties. You could be like, if the guy is like, what is it a particular player in your group? Like, what class? No, no, no. Okay. In general. So, like, say the player's a wizard. Um, he His mentor says, well, you have this money now. Why don't we build a wizard school? Again, like, make it a goal that doesn't improve his character, but changes the, the setting. So I think a lot of players would get satisfaction if you say there's the, you know... Xavier Blood Dragon Heart Ripper the Third's uh, Wizard School. You know the player character's name uh, on a na- on a. Can you sing the fight song for me? Oh yeah, it's just a blood curdling scream. Like necessarily let them into the clubs that they're in and that kind of thing too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah Bernie Madoff made poor people. He didn't prey on poor people. Yeah. Like, he didn't go to the trailer park and say, would you like to invest in my Ponzi scheme? Like, it, you're, you're, you're opening yourself up to a different class of predator, you know, when you, when you move classes. So let them buy all the items, but just, like, they start disappearing or people just start harassing them. And so the player will realize, if I, don't, if I keep all the, the – it's, it's a risk as much as it's an asset. So if you're walking around with all those magic items and all that power – People are going to figure out ways to deal with you. They'll they'll steal your shit while you're asleep. They'll uh, poison your food. They'll fight dirtier. I mean, they're they're not even trying to fight. They're just going to try and get your shit, and they'll find ways to do it. So, but don't go all Game of Thrones on your players because they'll quit. No one would put up with that level of <laughs> <laughs> being screwed with from every direction. Uh, yeah. yeah. If you can get something, most other people would be able to like if you can just get a plasma gun. That means anybody you're going to be fighting can probably have that, too. So, it's like, the more you arm yourself, like, maybe you can get away with one attack where you're, like, super overpowered and it's going to go great. But next time you're trying to do something like that, all the security forces are going to have plasma gun now because there's random murder yeah. hobos with plasma gun. <laughs> plasma attacks have gone up 500% in the last week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Sean Connery from Untouchables problem. Yeah. Hey, I'll bring a knife. You'll bring a gun. Uh, yeah. Another thing you can do is have everyone selling stuff marked up 10%. You said all that? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, Fleece the Rich Kid, yeah. Mm-hmm. We just had a guy leave a few months ago 
got all his, his ship blown up because he invested $1,500 of real-world money to make his ship the best it could. People went after him because of that and blew him up. Yep. He lost I'll hunt you down. $1,500 Class envy in the form of lasers. Other questions? Yeah. What is this a fantasy game or a sci-fi game? Fantasy game. Okay. So it's like a coal town. Like you get paid. Like if you're the underclass, you can go to the you can go to the coal store and buy stuff that lets you continue coal mining. And then like if you own the coal mine, you get actual money to buy. The problem is we're Well, tier, well, like split into tiers. Like the workers go to, uh, you know, Clerk Bob, who deals under the counter, and give them a terrible, like a ten to one ratio, and so they get a few precious bucks that they can spend on, you know, Elven wine or whatever. But then if they make friends with the manager. Then they get a better rate, and if they get, you know, if they, the more, so you could like break it down where the players have to work their way up to get better exchange ratios. Like they might have to do something to prove that they're trustworthy or something like that. Does that make sense? Does that, does yeah, that? or make that the plot. I mean, like capitalism has largely ditched that practice because it makes oppression way harder to make it that obvious. Uh, and I, I, I mean, you set up the the beginnings of the revolution, or you know, a Labor Day massacre, or something like. Have your players pick a side. Like, do we help the people who are being put in economic bondage by this, uh, you know, undercurrency, or do we cash in? Like, and, and then it becomes a player choice. Like, if I was playing in that game, I I would be. Shagwarfing all over the setting, like I would put on a beret and start raising up the people. Like that's the first thing I do. But yeah, exactly. But that's really fun. Like yeah, you know, if your economy is broken, that can be the plot. But then they're going to bring in the new wave of immigrant workers that are going to, you know, <laughs> the skeleton. Yeah. Bring yeah, the skeleton. Bring cheap skeleton labor is ruining Lemuria. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of Che, um, politics often. Uh, overrides market forces and economies. So, mm-hmm. you know, with your players, let's say a fantasy setting, they go in, you know, they go in, they get a whole bunch of coins, you know, they all have the face of King Stabbington on them. You know, finally <laughs> go to the store and go to buy gear. The guy, you know, shopkeep is like, oh, it's actually a crime to possess his likeness, uh, you know, after the last coup. Um, you know, and either it's like, oh, I'm going to send a runner to go to the currency exchange guy, and we'll do this quietly, or I'm going to go send a runner to go to the currency currency exchange guy. Please get the car. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of things like that you can do that can. Yeah, the king the kingdoms could just like ban certain like coins by fiat, and like, oh, anyone who possesses a magic item. That isn't registered with us, regardless if it, even if it just turns socks from red to blue. That's all that wand can do. Like you have to register yeah. it, or we'll execute you because <laughs> magic items are 
freaking dangerous. Other than New York State, I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, histor- <laughs> historical Mad Kings uh, do lots of crazy stuff like that, like uh, you know, devalue a currency overnight by saying, "Look, no, that's not the currency anymore." Like that's that's a sign you have a Nero on your hand when they just start making those big sweeping changes. But yeah. Um, the only thing I would say with that is make sure you foreshadow it so it doesn't look like gotcha on the character. Like, oh, you got all that gold. Good job. means nothing now. Uh, uh, they might not like that. Um, all right. We're, we're out of time, but I, I personally would be happy to answer questions in the hall and talk to you guys. And I just Is wanna, there another panel? Uh, I don't know, uh, I, I assume. Uh, but uh, I, I'm sure Rob gets it. Uh, but yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, and thank you all for coming. It was great. It was, yeah, I really appreciate it.